Welcome, all, greetings, y'all, to Americana, the American way. This is Big John hollering at you, uh, holla at you, boy. I, um, wanted to post my testimony uh, again on these platforms. Started the podcast recording, and you can find me on Rumble under the channel Americana, the American Way. You can find me on This is the podcast. So, I'm going to light up the cigar. I was part of the best place to post my testimony about getting to know God better. But, was the end of the playlist uh, well it wasn't so anyhow um you know I've called this testimony different things over the years I think originally I said how love lifted me uh, how God's love lifted me. Um, sometimes I, I call it thank God for grandmas who like to talk too much. Or thank God for grandmas who don't shut up. But I thought that would probably upset people if I said that. But um, one day uh, when I was... Uh, around 22 years old I finished my first year at Kent State I started college later in life um, after mulling it over for a few years not knowing what I was going to do working stupid jobs no offense to anybody that you know well I mean I no offense to anyone, there's no job that's stupid, but, um, just felt like I was going nowhere in life, so I went off to college, had a lot of fun, um, but after the first year, there was, like, something still missing in life, and, um, for some reason, I, I, I was, at, I was at my grandma's house, my grandpapa died, the spring before 
in uh, the spring of 98, May of 1998. And I started, I was in the process of starting college then. And I think it had he lived through that night, uh, if, if we would have found him not not doing well if he would have lived through that night um he died in his sleep uh, um of a heart i we think it was a heart attack i don't know um but he was long dead when we found him uh in the middle of the night when my grandma realized his ox his uh Biopap wasn't working right. So I think if he would have lived, I probably wouldn't have went to college. That's not the testimony. That's just something. Um, so in the fall of 1998, I went to Kent State. Um, I came home, I guess it was the summer of 99. Is that right? Does that make sense? Man, the time goes so fast. So, I was sitting there. That really don't make sense. 99 and... Okay, yeah, now it makes more sense. Okay. Um... <laughs> Because I don't have this written down. So it was the, the summer of 1999. And. One afternoon I'm sitting here at the house I grew up in. The house I live in now. By myself. And my grandmother started to talk. About how sick I was when I was a little kid. I was like 12 years old. I was 12 years old. I wasn't like 12 years old. I was 12. Um, I had, I just thought I had like double or triple pneumonia or something weird. Until my grandma told me this story. And so, she starts to talk and like, yeah, okay, Grandma, yeah, I was sick, and then I got better, and it's fine. So it was a big deal, you know? And she just wouldn't stop talking uh, about the, this. Uh, it was a month that I was in the hospital, two weeks in East Liverpool, and uh, two weeks in uh, St. Elizabeth's in Youngstown. And so... She starts telling me, we didn't think you were going to make it. And I'm like, Grandma, no, Grandma, stop it. You're just making a big deal of nothing. You, you just, you know. And she said, no, you don't understand. They didn't tell you everything because you were little. And, you know, from the time I was, time I got out of the hospital, you know, <laughs> until... 
I don't know, somewhere in my teens or somewhere. My grandmother always talked about my little shriveled up lung after this. And one day I said, would you stop saying that? It, it came back to normal size. They did a an x-ray and stuff a few years ago and whatever. That was many years ago now. But there were things that stood out in my mind that I didn't understand why people said them at the time. And things that happened to me in the hospital that I didn't understand why they were happening at the time. And what was happening spiritually is, you know, there was a battle going on. You know, a lot of demons, a lot of work of Satan himself. Uh, playing in people's minds and basically I wasn't being treated properly by the doctors at uh, East Liverpool Hospital a lot's changed there since 1988 but I'm just saying um, some of the doctors the little demons got in their ears and they didn't want to treat me some of the hospital administrators said his family can't pay the bills because his mom's a, a waitress and doesn't have insurance and we need to move him out of ICU and back into a children's bed um, stuff like that well that was all demons working in these people's minds my grandma didn't say that I did she told me, you know, you weren't supposed to live in the ambulance from East Liverpool to Youngstown. And we went. <sighs> My grandma and grandpa after about two weeks of East Liverpool and one of the good doctors there saying, you know, we need to keep treating him. And then another doctor, Dr. Singh said, well, I know a chest specialist in Youngstown who's the best chest doctor around. That's how they decided to transfer me to St. Elizabeth's in Youngstown. And this one day, after two weeks of trying different treatments, trying to drain this mysterious gel-like fluid, I guess it's, it's not a gel, it's not a fluid, this mysterious gel-like substance from around my lung, they said there's nothing more we can do. And my vital signs were dropping. So the decision was made to see if they could send me to St. Elizabeth's in Youngstown. And my mom was told to call my grandparents, call the family in. The doctors in East Liverpool told her it was Dr. Lava, Dr. Singh, and Dr. Castro. 
Dr. Castro was the worst of the bunch. I'll tell you later. Um, so, my mom was told to call the family in. I wasn't going to make it. They put another chest, they put one chest tube in me. Dr. Castro didn't want to do it. I was in ICU. He was supposed to come put this chest tube in. And he didn't want to do it because I couldn't pay the bill. And his office is the only one that ever harassed my mother about paying his bill. Dr. Castro, no relation to Fidel. He was, this doc was Filipino. There's nothing against Filipino people uh, or Filipino doctors, just state the fact. He later got his license taken and deported because he was writing illegal prescriptions. So what goes around comes around. But, uh, so, he didn't want to put this chest tube in me the first time. Uh, Dr. Singh, who never sent our family a bill, tried to draw this gel-like substance out through needles, big needles. But Dr. Castro was trying to refuse to put the chest tube in me because the devil and his little demons were in Dr. Castro's ear saying, don't do that, don't do that, he can't pay his bill, you don't need to help him. Well, Reverend Perry, the hospital chaplain, yelled at Dr. Castro, what are you going to do, let this boy die? So Dr. Castro put the first chest tube in me. I was in ICU, then a step-down unit. I screamed my head off when they put this chest tube in. They said, oh, you're just going to feel a little pressure like you have to go to the bathroom. Bull crap. It hurt like the dickens. And then he didn't even get it in right, because, probably because I was moving around. And I, I was always a large child. These people are like, he's, you know, this, is, this guy's 16 years old. He's 6 feet tall and 200 pounds. No. Dr. Lava had to tell the nurses and the doctors, no, he's only 12. He's just a little boy. He just looks big. He's just big for his age. And uh, one of the nurses who was a sister, the sister of my elementary school principal, when they took me up to ICU, she came with me to hold my hands while they put the chest tube in me. So there were some good people involved in this. So that was the first chest tube. Then they were going to put another chest tube in me the day that I was supposed to die. I guess to drain off enough fluid to buy me some time maybe. Uh, one last ditch effort. I don't, I don't know. Um, I asked Dr. Lava why I couldn't be put to put to sleep uh, for this chest tube, and he said, "Oh, oh no, it's not 
it's not worth it. It's not. It takes too much time to put you under or something stupid like that. And I start. I immediately started crying because I knew how bad it was gonna hurt. So while they were putting the second chest tube in. Uh, I remember asking Dr. Lava to hold my hands, and he was like, even he was like, uh, hesitant, but he did. And so, we got that, and meanwhile, they, they didn't get very much out of my, out of my rib, my chest cavity, uh, but they got some out, some, I think he's, Dr. Lava called it pus. I don't know why he called I don't know. Uh, anyways. So that's when my mom was told to call the family in that, I, that John's not going to make it. And so she called my grandparents and said you need to call everybody and tell them to get ready for John's funeral. And so my grandparents made their way to the hospital in a sliver pool and they said they did their crying in the car. My grandma said we did our crying in the car so we could be strong for your mother. And I was back in the, my room in the kids ward the kids wing of the hospital and I remember my pap and grandma coming in and my mom was explaining to me you know they're going to take you by ambulance to this other hospital and I'm like good I'm glad to be getting out of this place little did I know right so my pap came in and he tried to give me his wedding ring for good luck. And my girl was like, they won't let him take that in the ambulance. And he told me to keep a stiff upper lip. And then he went home and the plan was for my grandma to ride with me in the ambulance and my mom would follow her in my mom's car if I even made it to Youngstown. And so, we, they load me up in the ambulance, and as the driver is getting in, he says to my grandma, <clears throat> Let's just hope we make it to Youngstown. And I didn't know my vital signs were dropping. I didn't know how sick I was. I mean, they had me on a lot of medicine. They must have me on medicine to dull the pain. Um, and I hadn't eaten well because I just didn't feel like eating. Uh, but anyhow, it wasn't the eating or anything. It was the devil trying to kill me. And my grandma tells me this. And I remember hearing the, the, the paramedic driver get in and say, 
let's just hope we make it to Youngstown. And I thought, oh great, I've got an ambulance with a bad motor in it. And then 10 years later, my mom or my grandma fills me in and said, you know, it was me that wasn't supposed to make it to Youngstown. And then my grandpa came home and before he called any family members to say John might not make it, John is not going to make it. It's hard to talk about yourself dying. Before he called any family members, he called the church. He called the elders of the church and said to Virginia Wellington, who was uh, best friends of my grandparents until they all passed away. And he said, we need to start the prayer chain. John's not going to make it. And when God's people, husbands and wives, families from that church gathered in their living rooms, their kitchens, when God's people started to gather and call on his name, he answers. He answered that day. When I was in that ambulance, before we pulled out of the hospital, the paramedic in the back said to the one up front on critical patients, do we take their vitals every 15 or every 30 minutes? And I, I don't remember what he said back to her, but I remember thinking, I didn't know I was critical. Ten years later, I found out I was I was beyond critical. She also said, usually on critical patients, we have a doctor ride with us. But don't worry, the devil and his demons got in the doctor's heads and convinced them not to. But that's all the more miraculous. Because God was going to show people and show me so I could show you his strength. So I was taken off. I had no IVs in me. I had no uh, breathing equipment. No uh, life support. Just me and grandma. And the prayer chain. Because the Bible says whenever two are gathered in my name, I am there. And that gathering of people may not have been as a group but they were gathered in their homes, in their living rooms, husbands and wives, moms and dads and kids. They all gathered and prayed for me in their houses. And the call went out all over town, pray for John right now, he is not gonna live. And my principal's sister, who was the nurse, was going and telling him, Mr. Blevins, this little boy's not going to live. She was telling him from the time they put the first chest tube in me. 
So it was a pretty boring ride from East Liverpool to Youngstown until the miracle happened. And we were at this exit on Route 11 North, the first exit for the city of Columbiana. And the nurse took my vital signs, my blood pressure, my heartbeat, I don't know what else there is to check because it wasn't a lot. Um, but I just remember her saying, his vitals are back to normal. And, I didn't, and again, in my little 12-year-old mind, thinking I didn't know that I wasn't normal. And then she sat me up, propped up the, the gurney, the stretcher, said, do you want to wave to your mom? Here, I'll prop you up. And me still being naive to the whole situation... Waved out the back of the ambulance to my mom. So we finally get to Youngstown. And the doctor I was supposed to see was in the operating room. And they had a hard time finding me a bed because I wasn't supposed to live long enough to get there for one thing. And this was all kind of in a rush rush to get me there so we sat in the emergency room for a while and I just continued to feel better and the first person I saw in that hospital even though I was a Presbyterian at the time and uh, I attend whatever church God leads me to uh, the first person I saw there wasn't a doctor it was a nun and the nun said, you know, if there's anything I can get for you, let me know. I think I asked her for a glass of water. <laughs> and my mom was like, John, don't ask them for things. I'm like, but mom, she said if I wanted it, if I needed anything to ask her, <laughs> you know. Like, I was just doing what I was told. So... I thought I was supposed to go in for like an emergency surgery. I really don't know. Uh, they didn't, I just think that now. But the doctor came down from the emergency room or the operating room and they finally found me a bed. I still remember the name, the number to this day. It was 8206A. So 8206Bed A. Weird how you remember stuff like that. 8206A. And my mom was told about the severity of my condition. She came into the room and said, you know, there's this gel like around your lung and they can't take it out. And so they're going to have to cut you open and they might have to take a piece of your lung because there might be some abscessed to your lung. Which, and thank God, ended up not being that case. Uh, they immediately got me up and started me walking uh, with oxygen and different things. But they, they wanted me moving around. They didn't want me just laying. Um, and I just continued to get better. So I went from less than an hour to live to 30 minutes later being fully healed 
were almost fully healed. They still did the surgery and scooped the gunk out. Dr. Um, Missoula in Youngstown, Ohio was the doctor. And he had a, a, an associate or partner in his uh, medical practice who assisted him on the surgery. His associate tested this gel-like fluid and he said, this is something I've never seen before in all my years of medicine. And this guy had like 20 years in practice. Um, and so they never identified what was wrong with me. It was the devil. It was the demons. Two nurses from the East Liverpool Hospital quit their jobs over this. Because the devil had gotten so far into the administrators and the doctors' heads that these nurses came to my mom at the restaurant she works at and said, if you want to sue that hospital, we will testify for you because they were going to let your son die because you didn't have insurance. So I could be retired right now if my mom would have went through with that lawsuit. But the Lord wants me to work. Uh, but that's the power of the devil. That's the power the devil has over this world. And you've got to understand. There were no doctors there when I got healed. Doc, God used Dr. Missoula and the people at St. Elizabeth's Hospital as a tool to finish what he started because he wants he wanted my grandma to be able to tell me this story when I was 22-ish, between 22 and 23. And <clears throat> I had been going through a dark time right about then. When I was about 18 years old, I was very depressed. I was obese, as I am now, but I'm not depressed anymore. Uh, but I, I would sit there and look around like, man, this friend of mine, he, he's a jerk. He cheats on girls, and he gets all these girls. Or this person over there, they have this nice car, and they're a drug dealer. You know, Grandma, I don't want to believe in God anymore. Because, look, look, you're just, you're just stupid, Grandma. You don't understand, you know. And then she told me how sick I was and how close I was to dying. And how there was nobody in the ambulance with me. There was nobody there but those prayer partners and those elders of the church. And the Holy Spirit that God sent into that ambulance to breathe and beat me. Make my heart beat. Make my blood pressure normal. That's all there was. And God had to put me through that. So that ten years later my grandma could tell me the story. And then that fall in 1999. When I was 23. I went to Kent, back to Kent State. I was thinking about dropping out. Because... The first year there, I just, I had fun, but I had a, a lot of demons, a lot of depression. 
a lot of things that I just, man, self-pity. But when I went back to Kent State, 1999, I got down on my knees in my dorm room and I prayed, God, please find me some good Christian friends. God, I want to get closer to you. God, I want to go back to church. God, forgive me for not believing in you. And I don't remember all the words, but I remember the feeling of just the emptiness and that need, that void inside me that needed filled. And I prayed a really specific prayer. I said, God, find me a church with young people my age, a good youth group. Still considered myself a youth at 23. Uh, but I saw this thing on the news over the summer where some churches were starting to have, um, they call them praise teams or worship teams, but it basically, they're bringing rock and roll instruments into the churches to get young people uh, involved in church again, instead of it being the same boring old thing. And I said, God, find me one of those churches with the, the bands and the instruments. And so, a few, I don't know, days, weeks, whatever later, I was, man, I was searching, I was hungering. And I saw the, this, the long-haired, freaky dude um, across the hall, diagonally, slightly diagonally, or cat kitty corner, however you want to say it, uh, in the room across the hall from me that we all thought was like a druggie and a weirdo. And uh, he walked around in an army jacket or army yeah, jacket. And we all thought, oh, he was never in the army, man. He's probably some crazy 1970 leftover, thinks he's in Vietnam or something crazy, dude. <laughs> he's my best friend now. Uh, I saw him walking down the hall with a Bible. And I was like, oh, is that a Bible in your hand? He's like, oh, yeah. Like, well, where are you going? You know, like, oh, I'm going to church. I was like, oh, really? I'd, I'd like to start going to church. And so I don't know what, if it was that day I went to church with him for the first time or that Sunday morning or something, uh, or ne the following Sunday mornings, whatever. But God answered that really specific prayer. And I met all these cool people. And we had all this fun. And that's why I believe so much in God. Why I feel so, so faithful. Because I'm not supposed to be here by the world's standard. By the medical definitions, I was dying. My vital signs were dropping. I, did, I wasn't supposed to make it to Youngstown. I was supposed to die in that ambulance somewhere along the way. And there were all these little demons of the devil getting in the doctor's ears, getting in the hospital administration's ears. They didn't even want to admit me to the hospital in East Liverpool. The, the people that in admitting or billing or the administration, whatever you want to call it, they didn't want to let me in. They wanted the, the doctors to treat me in the ER and send me home. Dr. Lava had to fight 
to get me a room and get me admitted. And I'm, one of the first memories I have of this event was Dr. Lava sticking his head in my bed, my hospital room going, we're going to make you better. You know, he didn't, God did, but bless Dr. Lava, he's deceased now, but bless his little heart. He, uh, he did, he did want to treat me and he did want to make me better. Uh, he was a general practitioner. Uh, the other doctors were specialists and they should have said, according to these nurses who quit, that they should have said, this boy needs surgery. We're going to have to open him up and take that uh, gel substance around his lung out manually. And they didn't because they listened to the demons. I just want you to know that there's a God in heaven that loves you, that wants to call you, that wants you to be his. I'm proof of that. I've talked to so many of my, my elders, people that are older than me, the friends of my parents, or the parents of my friends, and they remember getting that phone call. The people that were in the, the church at that time remember getting the phone call from Virginia Wellington. You better start praying. Bill just called me and said, John's not going to make it. Just pray for a miracle. And 30 minutes later, God says, stop, devil. This little boy prayed to me when he was younger and asked me to come into his heart. His grandparents, his, his, his elders at his church, his friends' parents believe in me and they're calling me to heal this child. And just like in the Bible, when the Roman soldier asked Jesus to heal his son, Jesus wasn't even in the same place. The Roman soldier wasn't even in the same place as his son. And Jesus said, go home, your son is healed. My grandpap, Virginia Wellington, my family, the elders of my church, the other Christians in town, got that phone call and they called on the name of Jesus to heal me. And God said, it's done. Because they believed in him. Because I believed in him. And yeah, I went through some dark times from 18 to 23. Where I didn't want to believe in God. But God believed in me. And he brought me back. He, 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 he gave me that that fire in my heart to say, God, come back into my life. And he's like, John, I never left you. All the things that I did, all the drinking, I, I was never really into drugs, but the, the fun times, the wild times, the drinking to hurt myself on purpose, to 
drink until the room would spin. God kept me out of so much trouble on those nights. He kept me from having, I didn't even own a car or have a light driver's license until I was 25. Because God had to keep me safe from myself. And I had to learn things through those times. But I don't think he ever left me. Yeah, I felt darkness and emptiness at times because I, I turned from him. But there were also the worst times. When one night I was thinking really hard about hurting myself. And I saw this glow out the corner of my eye. And I, I knew my grandparents had went to bed. I was like 18 years old. And I so I knew it wasn't the, the living room lights. So I quickly turned my head back around. And there was this big white like globe. I don't know, big white light, round light. And there was an angel standing there with like a white robe and his hands stretched out, rope for a belt. I wasn't on no drugs back then. I wasn't drunk that night. And I just got a glimpse. I was like, whoa. But God was with me. And he's still with me now and he can be with you. It don't matter what your situation is. You, you, you can be saved. You can be loved by God. Jehovah Rapha, Lord my healer. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. The great I am. The God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. The God of David. The David who slayed the giant. That's a literal story, but it's also meaningful that God can slay the, the giant in your life. God of Jesus that walked on water can walk with, you can walk with Jesus. You can do it too. You just gotta find, a, a good church with good biblical teachings. And they're not always going to tell you what you want to hear. Because God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. The ways of this earth, the ways that we think, the ways that I used to think before my grandma wouldn't shut up that day. Those aren't God's ways. But God will take care of us. God will love on us. No matter what we do or say or think. If we ask him to come into our hearts and into our lives. Put us in a good church. Don't worry about the people at the church. Yeah, it's good to have fellowship. But I hear people say, well, I don't go to church because... There's hypocrites there. Man, I was a hypocrite. You know? I was a... You know, I made mistakes. You're a hypocrite, maybe. 
you know? But you're there for a relationship with God. And it's good to be in that church fellowship and fellowship with other Christians. That helps you, gives you somebody to lean on in the hard times, you know? I used to call our Christian, our college age uh, ministry, Crossroads was what it was called. I used to call it a Christian self-help group because we'd all come there and, you know, we, we'd read the scripture, we'd read the, uh, you know, somebody would give a testimony or a little sermon and, you know, there were those of us that would just talk about our problems and, and you know, how you know depressing we felt, but God loved us, and we loved we loved on one another, and we had fun. We just had fun. We didn't need drugs. The most laughs I ever had were without alcohol, without anything, and you know just being silly, slap happy, you know, and. I mean, amen, amen. But I know God is real because there weren't no doctors. There was no medicine. There was no miracle of modern medicine that saved me. It was a miracle of people gathering and praying and pouring their hearts out. And God saying, enough demons, enough devil. Satan himself, I'm going to cast you out. And I'm going to save this boy. I hope I said something in all this that you can get something out of and understand. I really do. Anyways. God bless y'all. This always takes me so much longer than what I realized. But I hope you stayed in tune for this long. And I hope you get saved. Pick up a, a, a King James version of the Bible and start reading. Or the usually it just says Holy Bible on the front. There might be some words in there you don't understand because it's written in Old King's English. But um, I hope you get saved. I hope you see me in heaven and be like, hey, hey, you big dummy. I saw you on some video or some podcast one night and listened to you ramble about how Jesus saved you and I got saved. So y'all pray for each other. Y'all pray for me. And uh, God bless you. Let us love one another. Let us pray for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.